This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. And uh, the Doctor's Lounge is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. Every week we come to you and we bring you the best in uh, medical chat radio. And we arm you with the information that you need so that you'll be able to defend your own health care. Um, Docs for Patient Care Foundation is a, four, is a uh, 501c3 organization. We um, are the only physician-led, physician-run healthcare think tank in the country. Um, please go to our website, www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's docs4patientcarefoundation.org. And please support us so that we can bring you this show and all the other good work that we do um, every single day. Um, Today, it's my honor and privilege to uh, welcome into the Doctor's Lounge a uh, special guest, and we're going to do something a little different than we typically do. We usually break, but we're going to try to go through the first two segments because we have um, our special guest, Dr. Ben Carson, here uh, for just uh, part of the show. So uh, we're going to, we have a lot, to, a lot of ground to cover, and I wanted to uh, not waste any time. So, uh, Dr. Carson, welcome into the Doctor's Lounge. Thank you. Glad to be with you. You know, it's, uh, I don't know if you remember talking with all of us in, uh, in Steamboat last summer, and we, uh, a lot yeah. of water has gone under the bridge since then. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before we get started, I just wanted to um, uh, share a, a little story with you that uh, I think you'll get a kick out of. It's, you know, it's, it's really unbelievable how well people, uh, how much influence people have over other people's lives. And Dr. Carson, it goes without saying, has been a, a huge influence on many people's lives as the um, chairman of pediatric uh, neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins uh, uh, University and, um, uh, and, ju- and just as a, a, uh, a well-respected leader in healthcare and, and uh, in healthcare matters, talking about them. But I was at a... Um, a, a, a uh, an event at a friend's house uh, last week, and he um, has three PAs there, Ben, who are um, all the the the, um, the epitome of the American dream. They are um, Haitian immigrants. They're um, PAs in uh, in uh, cardiology and in uh, vascular surgery, and they. Um, they have uh, come here to make a better life for themselves, and one and they're they're incredible because you know they're they want the best for their children, and they've really taught their children, you know, t- that that they have to reach for the for the stars and and really study hard and and uh, not not fall prey into uh, what so many young people do these these days in in this country, and one of them. Uh, was sharing a story with me because I told them that uh, I was going to, uh, I told them about our radio show and that you were going to be our guest. And he shared with me a story that uh, he um, uh, used to have his daughter write, read a, um, a book every week during the summer. Um, and then they both read it and, they, and she did a book report. And um, and one of her books was the topic of her college essay, and she said it was the most influential book in her life. And it was your book. It was Think Big. And um, yeah, and um, this girl is now matriculating right now. She's an incoming freshman at Harvard. 
So, oh, fantastic. So <laughs> yeah, you, that is nice. Well, you know, I, I, I get so much joy out of hearing stories like that. And, <clears throat> you know, there was a book that I recently wrote called You Have a Brain. And uh, one of the judges in Pennsylvania started using that book as a sentence. Instead of putting juveniles in jail, he would sentence them to read that book and come back and report to him in two weeks. And it's been phenomenal uh, in terms of how it has changed people's lives. One young man went back to the juvenile detention center where he had been, and he started talking to everybody in there, got 60 of the other kids involved, and they all started thinking about how they could use their lives in a positive way. It was really quite amazing. Isn't it, it's unbelievable how things that we do, we don't even know how they're going to touch so many other people when we, when we produce these things. Absolutely. You know, I, there's so much ground to cover, and, you know, I know that you've got limited time, and if, you, if you're enjoying yourself on this very low-key, low low-pressure interview, we'd love you to stay longer, but we understand if you can't. Um, you know, as, as uh, you and I and all serious, honest people who understand health care have predicted, Obamacare was destined for failure, and we're seeing the wheels coming off the bus. You know, the insurance plans are dropping out of the exchanges. Fourteen out of 23 state and federal co-ops have gone under. The premiums are going up for everybody. Out-of-pocket costs are going up. We're seeing consolidation in health care, which is a bad thing because it limits competition. And the list goes on and on. So if there were no changes in the direction that this train is heading in, um, what do you see happening? Uh, well, I'm not sure it was ever designed to, to be successful um, because the, the costs have gone up so dramatically, particularly for middle-class uh, families that they're not utilizing the medical system. So the decreases in costs that are boasted, uh, in fact, are because people are not going to get care until they're much sicker, which in the long run results in us paying out more money. And uh, so the insurance companies are feeling the effect of this, and they're saying this isn't working for us. So they're abandoning the program. And uh, pretty soon there won't be anybody left in it, and they'll say, uh, you know, this was a good idea, but we did it the wrong way. What we really need is single payer. And that's the problem. And, you know, it, it really goes back to our fundamental misunderstanding of what health insurance is. In the beginning, health insurance was there to make sure that if something really big happened, a catastrophic type event, that, you know, you didn't lose the farm. And we've allowed it to become something completely different. Now we want our insurance to cover everything. If we need a $3 pill, we want our insurance to cover it. And uh, that has created a, a very abnormal situation. And it has allowed some unscrupulous insurance carriers to jack up prices way beyond what they need to be. What, and that's that's why what I've advocated, uh, what Donald Trump is advocating, is health savings accounts. I call them health empowerment accounts because they're like health savings accounts with, with, without all the bureaucrats in them. And, and basically, it allows you to take care yourself. Just between you and the health care provider, you know, the 80% of things that don't require 
big money. And that means that you still have to have catastrophic insurance, but the cost of your catastrophic insurance drops dramatically because the only thing coming out of it is catastrophic health care. And how often do we have catastrophic events in our lives? Not very often. No, not at all. That's the way it was supposed to work. It's, it's our manipulation of it uh, and our distortion of it that has made it unaffordable. Well, that, you know, that's, that's absolutely correct. And you br- brought up uh, the point about what um, people who are Obamacare advocates are saying. They're saying how successful the the uh, the law is because of decreased health care spending. And, in fact, James Carville said in, in an interview this week with Hugh Hewitt that Obamacare is a giant success. And... Um, and there are many people on the left who agree with him. Um, they're, they're saying that now there are more people who are on insurance than ever before. And uh, they use this uh, fact. This is pretty much the only fact that and decreased health care spending in the system, which you brought up correctly, is because less people are accessing the system. But are they lying to the American people? Or do you think they really believe this? Uh, they they would never lie. <laughs> <laughs> right. They don't know the meaning of the word. No. Right, right, uh, right. <laughs> and, uh, seriously, um, you, there are more people who were indigent, who are very poor, who now have health care. That I will give you. No question about that. But at what cost? Robbing from Peter to pay Paul. That's not the kind of health care system we need. We need something that works for everybody. And when you, when you look at the amount of money that is spent, uh, let's say, on, on Medicaid, you're looking at uh, about $500 billion a year. How many people participate in Medicaid? About $80 million, which is far more than should um, but that's, that's a whole other to- topic. But let's take it as it is. You divide it out, it comes out to more than $5,000 per annum for each individual who's involved. For a family of four, over $20,000. Now tell me, what kind of a CalAC health care plan could you pay oh, for gosh. with $20,000? Absolutely. For a family. You bet. Think about it. And yet, you know, we have a system that is full of bureaucrats, full of inefficiency, and therefore we spend these huge amounts of money and we don't get the bang for our buck. And that's one of the things that can be changed if we took that same $5,000 and we, we, we gave the individual or some responsible individual involved in their lives control over that money in terms of healthcare spending, you would see a dramatic change because all of a sudden, uh, like everybody else, the indigent people would be concerned about how that money was being spent. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely and right. it's it would it would bring the whole healthcare system into the free market realm. That's what controls quality, and that's what controls price. But when you have nobody who's responsible, except some nebulous third party. Of course, you're going to get the kinds of inefficiencies and spending that we have. Right. You know, skin in the game is always a very important uh, part of uh, responsibility. And unfortunately, the third party 
payer system has uh, completely destroyed and eliminated that. But, you know, I think that um, this is a question, you know, when when, when I was uh, tweeting this uh, uh um, interview out. I was just saying today that this is just two doctors talking about stuff, and this is what you know we always do in our in our doctors' lounges around the country, uh, bet- wait, waiting for the turnover time between cases. Um, and uh, you know, one of the things that always comes up, you know, doctors griping about uh, what's going on is the fact that um, we've. Uh, We've let this happen. You know, you talked about uh, yeah, all of the all of the um, the parasites, so to speak, in the system that are are driving the costs up, and um, we've we've really um, we 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 dropped the ball on on this, haven't we? Yes, we we turned the care over to bureaucrats. We said we're too busy. Uh, you know, let the bureaucrats, let the lawyers, let them all take care of it. Well, they took care of it all right. <laughs> and, and, you know, now a third of each health care dollar goes for administrative costs. Imagine what could be done if we could increase the amount of money that's applied to health care by one-third. And that's that's being very modest. It yes. could be prob- many people say it's a lot more than that. That's uh, not very effective. Not to mention the doctor-patient relationship. You know, when it's between the patient and the healthcare provider, everybody becomes much more concerned about how things are done, how much things cost, how efficiently it's done. And believe me, if you have skin in the game, real responsibility, and, and I'm sort of an irresponsible a doctor, and I, <laughs> I want to do five CAT scans on you, uh, you're going to say, do we really need five CAT scans? Right. And if I am responsible, I'm going to say, no, no, we actually don't. I think we can do it three um, spread out over this period of time. Uh, you know, that's the way things work Right. when you have a relationship between people but when there's no relationship you know who cares right it's somebody else's problem but it's all of our problem because the costs have escalated to the point where they have and and what we're going to be looking at now is you know how do we restructure the system you know look how much money we're spending almost twice as much per capita as most of the other countries in the world many of whom have much better access uh, to healthcare, so it, you you look at a place like Singapore, where you know it costs you know a half to a quarter per capita of what we're doing, but go talk to the people in Singapore, see how happy they are mm-hmm. because they have a type of system. It's mandated that they have it, but it's called medical savings accounts, and and they have control over it, and it can accumulate over the years. And, you know, by the time somebody's 40 or 50 years old, they've got, you know, gazillions of dollars unless they have, you know, complex chronic illnesses. And this is what gives them the ability to to go somewhere else if they need something really specialized done. And they take and it with them. About it. They're not they're not tied to their job or they're they're not uh, tied to a particular state. This stays with them. Exactly. And, and that's and that's the way, you know, we need to do it, too. And if if you look at Obamacare, you look at how they try to restrict 
you know, any kind of, of, of personal account. You know, they don't want health savings accounts because that works. It gives and individuals it power. Major competition for them. They don't like that. Right. Right. So, so and that's why Medicare uh, also has major restrictions on mm-hmm. any possibility of a health savings account. Right. Right. Because it takes away. It gives individuals power, and they and they right. don't want that. So, so th- this is th- the question that everybody wants to hear, and and uh, this is, I think, the only thing that I'm going to do that's going to be semi-political. And you know, it's this is one of the more interesting presidential campaigns in our lifetime, maybe one of the more disturbing ones. And um, the sad thing is that most people are not uh, paying attention; they've tuned out or they've formulated opinions based on personality rather than issues. And um, on on our show, we focus on health care. So just with regard to health care matters, um, can you um, explain for our audience what the difference will be for the individual and for the system in uh, if there's a Hillary Clinton presidency versus a Donald Trump presidency? Sure. Well, uh, as, as some of the members of the audience may remember, there was something called Hillary Care. Uh, back in the early 90s, uh, which she spearheaded. And it was rejected even by the Democrats. <laughs> That's how bad That's it was. Right. I mean, I, I hope some people have access to it. Go back and just read about it. it was draconian. Doctors could be put in jail, you know, for mistakes in billing, you know, like three in a billing cycle. Mm-hmm. I mean, the things you could be put in jail for were ridiculous. It's like we were all the criminals. And, um, you know, fortunately, you know, cooler heads prevailed and it was rejected. But, you know, she is obviously a subscriber of Obamacare, a subscriber of the government knows best and let the government control what's happening in your life. So we will see further extensions of government control, even though the cost is escalating out of control, uh, not even the most ardent Obama supporters can argue that the costs are not escalating and are way greater than what they promised that they would be. And in fact, they said that people would save money and people are actually spending more money. So you'll see a continuation of that. With a <clears throat> Trump uh, administration, uh, he obviously wants it to be centered on the concept of, of health savings account and personal responsibility uh, and wants to develop a system in which your health care is not tied to your job and a system in which um, there's a cumulative benefit to you for a healthy lifestyle. So, <clears throat> you know, if, if you have health savings accounts and you're living a healthy lifestyle, you're probably not going to be spending nearly as much per annum. So over the course of time, you're going to build up incredible amounts of money. Also, a system that perhaps gives flexibility within a family. So let's say, you know, you run out of money in your HSA. Your wife can give you some out of hers or your son or your cousin or your uncle. And uh, it really, I think, brings about more caring within each family. People begin to look after each other. And, you know, when there's a family gathering, 
you know, the kids are going to be hiding uh, Uncle Joe's <laughs> cigarettes, and people are going to be thinking about how do we keep our family members. So it's almost like a, a little cooperative in the family. Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, each, each family becomes their own little insurance company. And I think that, again, it, it brings about the whole concept of personal responsibility. And that's what makes the difference. You know, I always say, you know, if everybody ate three well-balanced meals a day, drank six to eight glasses of water, got full night's sleep, exercised regularly, and didn't put harmful substances into their bodies, most of us in medicine would be out of a job. Of course, that's not going to happen, but it, it, it talks about the importance of people actually understanding their health, understanding their body, and they need to be incentivized to do that. And these kinds of programs incentivize people to do that. And that's what we need to see, obviously, and, and we're not going to on the path that we're on, uh, sadly. Um, you know, a lot of people have thrown your name out, Sean Hannity being one of them, um, as a potential secretary of HHS in a Donald Trump uh, administration. And I, th- I think that's a great thing. You know, there are very few doctors who are public figures that people can identify with. I, I, we all remember um, C. Everett Koop. You know, he was he was bigger than life. And uh, but but aside from him, I think that there hasn't really been any physician that really has been out there as a uh, a figure that people can listen to and uh, and believe as much as as you and so i think that would be a great thing so if you were in charge what changes would you try to institute to improve health care system and and especially the the medical training in this country which is a topic that you know we could spend an hour on just uh just and and just scratch the surface on yeah well, well first of all let me just uh say as i've told sean and and a lot of other people are not really uh, looking for a government job or a government position, <laughs> but I'm very happy to, to help and to help coordinate and to advise. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of things that have to be done. First of all, we need to formulate a new health care plan, and we need to have that in place and it needs to be something that's easy to understand and very attractive to people. And then you get rid of Obamacare. Yes. I think it's premature to say, let's get rid of Obamacare, and then let's replace it with something else. No, you replace it with something else, and then you get rid of Obamacare. And you do it in such a way that people see that there's a viable alternative, and it's something that they like. Remember with Obamacare, they had to trick and conjole people into getting into it that's not the american way and that's not how anything should ever be done you know as far as uh, the training uh, of physicians is concerned that i think is coming along extraordinarily well Uh, the use of technology uh, has obviously been uh, extraordinarily beneficial uh, in terms of the amount of material that has to be learned, in terms of teaching people how to access information, 
as opposed to just memorizing reams of things. I, I still think there's a certain amount of memorization that is necessary because you have to have a base of knowledge to be able to interpret what you're seeing and what you're hearing. <coughs> um, and, you know, those are the kinds of things that I think need to be emphasized. Another thing that's going to help enormously, it's already helping in many areas, is the use of, of virtual reality. Um, and, you know, I've already been engaged, for instance, in, a, in an operation uh, that took place on another continent mm-hmm. <clears throat> through virtual reality. Oh, wow. And I could put my goggles on and work with the computers and, and be doing things in this country that could translate uh, to there. And the use of robots, um, it's already being used in several surgical specialties, not so much in neurosurgery. Well, in my, in my specialty. quite fine enough. In, in my specialty in urology, we're using that. Yes, to, to great effect. I, and it's, I think the majority of prostatectomies are done robotically now. And uh, the precision is, is much greater. That's only going to continue to improve. And one of the things that that does, which I think is absolutely tremendous, and most people don't realize this, most people think that, you know, a surgeon is a surgeon is a surgeon is a surgeon. They're all the same. It's not, they're not all the yes, same. Yes, it's true. Uh, some are you know, leagues better than others. Some are leagues poorer than others. But once you introduce the robotics, it kind of obliterates those differences to a certain extent. And that's going to be extremely beneficial because it, it will even the results across the board to a much greater extent. So, you know, those are some of the things that we have to look forward to. And those are the kinds of things that I think have to be facilitated. I think the other thing uh, that we have to keep in mind, and a lot of people don't really appreciate this, but, you know, the amount of time, stress, and sacrifice that go into becoming a physician are, are things that only physicians and their families understand. Uh, and, you know, the this relatively small amounts of money that are made uh, by interns and residents, and that can be, you know, anywhere from, from three to ten years of your life. Uh, it's a little bit irritating to, to people who then uh, here, everybody's saying physicians make too much money. When you average it out, <laughs> they don't make too much money no, at all. No, they don't, no. Uh, and, but like with any other thing, uh, your livelihood should be based on what you're doing uh, and not on what some bureaucrat decides. Right. And that's, that's key to the system that we have in this country. And people should always have incentives built into what they do. So if they're particularly efficient and they're uh, particularly effective, there's absolutely no reason that they shouldn't benefit from that. And that's the reason uh, that the United States accelerated the way that it did. Uh, It went from nowhere to the pinnacle of the world economically in less than 100 years. No one's ever done anything like that before or even come close to it. But it was because we had a system that encouraged innovation and entrepreneurial risk-taking. And, you know, there were some people who succeeded. There were some people who failed. Um, And I'll I'll tell you something else that's very interesting. When you look at 
people who are highly successful, they will virtually all be able to tell you stories of failure. And it's not really a question of never failing. It's a question of do you learn from that failure? And then you then integrate that into the way that you do things. And that's how you really become highly successful. Which is why I get so annoyed when I have to listen to people who denigrate our health care system and say that we're number 38, just behind Costa Rica and just ahead of Cuba. And, I, and, and you know, they, they love to cite the WHO classification, which really just just burns me because it's if you look at our health care system you take out a couple of the um the outliers one of the ones i love you know as a as a pediatric surgical specialist you understand this as as well as anybody they talk about infant mortality and how bad the u.s is but they factor they fail to factor in that most countries don't report infant mortality exactly. until the, the baby is th- uh, 44 weeks and in some cases three months, whereas the miracles of this country, we're keeping babies alive at 23 weeks. And, exactly, and, and, and that's something that most people don't know. And that, that factors not only into the infant mortality data, but they also use that for longevity yes. data for everybody. And when you factor that in... That brings our longevity down by a few years. True. And the fact of the matter is, when you go to other countries and you look at the the, the people who are at the top of the social scale economically, and they have a serious problem, where do they come? (laughs) They come here. So uh, obviously, (laughs) we've got some pretty good stuff here. And and Uh, cancer. What we have to concentrate on is, is how do we make that accessible? Right. to all of our people in a way that is ec- economically fair uh, to the entire society and stop picking and choosing winners and losers and stop taking from this one to give to this one. We're smarter than that. We don't have to do that. But a lot of times people take things and they put it into a political arena. And to take health care and put it into a political arena, I think, is a huge mistake because you're talking about the most valuable thing a person has, oh, well, their gosh. life. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Carson, are, I, are you having a good time? I'm having a wonderful time, but I, I've, I've got actually a, a, a meeting with uh, with the Trump people and the RNC coming up, so <laughs> you're gonna have to play. Okay, well, you know, I I you know I would love to uh, chat longer with you, and just a couple of things I just want. I'm not going to ask any more questions. Just a couple of quick statements. Number one, um, you've met recently with our uh, our people in Washington, and we appreciate you uh, actually mentioning that and in in uh, public forum. And I would like to remind our audience about uh, who are physicians about our upcoming direct primary care conference. And I would uh, love if you have a, a, a day and wanted to join us, we would love to invite you to come to this. It's one of the more exciting conferences, I think, of its of its kind. And plus, you get almost 12 CME credits, which I think you still need <laughs> to keep your license going. <laughs> so so we would love to have you there if you could make it in, in Dallas on October 14th. We would love to have you there. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. And I, I appreciate what you're doing, particularly in terms of, of keeping people connected and informed. And I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful that, you know, the healthcare community uh, will begin to take a much more proactive stance in, in all areas, and, and including and in politics. A lot of doctors say, yeah, I'm staying, staying out of that. But really, who has more education than physicians? Nobody. Nobody. No one at all. And, you know, experience in life and in life and death matters and in putting things into perspective. And I, I really feel that many more people in, in healthcare need to get involved uh, in what's going on in our country. I think it would make a huge difference. We should be healers, not only of the body, but of the society. Amen. And uh, I can't add anything else to that. So um, I wish you well and uh, and good luck uh, trying to uh, influence the powers that be with regard to health care and other matters. And uh, we enjoyed having you. It was an honor and a privilege, and I hope that we can get you back onto the doctor's lounge at some point in the future. Absolutely. Have a good day. Thank you. You do the same. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we'll be back in, in Doctor's Lounge after this break. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And you're back in the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. I hope that you enjoyed that uh, interview with Dr. Ben Carson. I certainly did. I thought that he was excellent. And and I think that had he not had a conflict, if I didn't bring it up, I think he would have probably kept talking. And there was a lot more ground that I wanted to cover with him because he is probably one of the most... Um, uh, interesting physicians in the country, not not to mention one of the most interesting Americans, and he just gets it. He knows um, he knows what what uh, how you know what makes things work and how people tick. And I think that uh, his involvement at some point in in uh, a, a Trump administration will help to stabilize it and and make it better for everybody, especially for healthcare. I'm going to um, open up the mic to my uh, producer and friend, Dr. Uh, Dr. I, I, I just promoted you, David. David Moxley. I, I don't know. Is that a promotion? Or is it, maybe it's going well, it may be It may be a, dem, a demotion. But I wanted to get your take on that interview. You know, my take on it is very simple, and it's sort of like the Trump campaign in general. Obviously... Even even my doctor sitting across from me isn't a, a 
ten times billionaire or whatever like Trump. But I think the thing that's coming across and the thing that I got from the interview with Dr. Carson is yes, he's a very he's a world renowned neurosurgeon, pediatric neurosurgeon, but he's a human being. He talked to me. He didn't talk just to you, just to his peers. He talked to the patient. He talked to he talked to all of us. And I think this is the thing that the country is hungry for, we're crying for, we need to have it explained to us, but not in medical terms, not in what you got out of your book and your eight years, ten years, or what. We need it down on our level. And I think Dr. Carson, that's what I got out of it. You know, he, he basically said it at the end, his last statement, that doctors need to be healers, not just of medicine, but of the soul. And he, every, every time he speaks, he, he comes across as that kind of healer. And, uh, you know, I think that um, we have a responsibility as physicians that we really have um, dropped the ball on over our generation. And I think that people like Dr. Carson, I hope like myself, are trying to reclaim that responsibility and help to heal the healthcare system because it has been um, it has been damaged by as we said in our conversation the parasites that are trying to suck out what's good in the healthcare system at the detriment to the detriment of of all of the patients who are paying that price both in terms of cost and in terms of poorer health care, whether it is less time in their physician's office because they're rushing them through or their doctor's not paying attention to them because they're too busy having to fill out the electronic medical record or not having access um, to, uh, um, you know, just just uh, what, what they need because of bureaucracy. You know, I, I think... Uh in everything, and and Obama has done a heck of a job in in diverting our attention from every facet, be it the economy, be it medicine, be it. and I think that, in my opinion, that we need to have more conversations between patient and doctor, and let the patient understand because a lot of us don't understand what you all have to go through. They think that you come in and see them five minutes and you make. $1,000 because of that five minutes. They don't know that you have to go back and, and go through the, the hoops and cross the T's. And if you don't cross that T exactly right or you don't dot that I, there can be uh, ramifications. And the patient doesn't know this. And I, I think this is where we have to reestablish the doctor-patient relationship. Right. I and mean, that's, that's one of the things that Docs for Patient Care has always stood for ever since its creation. It was to, to, um, to preserve the doctor-patient relationship, which is disappearing, and to educate patients, to show them um, what's, what's happening, to, to uh, try to uh, give them the tools that they need so that they can stand up for themselves and to um, really uh, put, put a stop to the downhill slide to what's happening in American health care. And I think it's going to happen, but, but not, on the, uh, not on the path that we're on, and certainly not if, if we see um, a president take office who would like to see the socialization of health care with uh, equal 
um, uh, with equal outcomes for everybody. Everybody gets the same, you know, crappy health care rather than, you know, striving that for the, the potential that everybody has an opportunity. Oh, wait a second. Are you ta- you're saying that everybody would get the same health care. So our, our congressman, our secretary of state, our other secretaries in the administration, they would all get the same health care? Yeah, of course they would, right? You know, and, and that's, but, but that's, that's actually what, um, what Dr. Carson was saying. He was saying that we should not get rid of Obamacare, but we should change the system and leave Obamacare in place until we can create a system that works for everybody, that, that everybody wants to have. And that's what you hear us advocate every single week that we do this show. We are talking about what's possible. And and by unleashing the, the entrepreneurial um, spirit of the physician community, unencumbered by regulation of government and not taking sides, not playing favorites of hospitals and insurance companies over patients and physicians. I think that that's very possible. I think that we can get to a system where where you have a safety net where people can get their care like they do, like the indigent are doing right now in Obamacare without hurting the rest of the healthcare system and the rest of society, and making everybody have to pay the price because you're taking care of a of a small segment of the population. You know, I, Dr. Carson hit it on the head, and and I think you uh, we we totally agree. Insurance should be for the catastrophic, not for not for the headache and ordinary cold. And I can remember back when it was. You know, you'd go to the doctor's office. Uh, They'd send they'd send my dad a bill for the visit. It was uh, twenty bucks, thirty bucks, whatever it was. But when I tore up my shoulder, that was catastrophic, and we had insurance that covered it. Our insurance cost back then was I don't want to say nothing, but it was certainly not anywhere close to what it was affordable. Talking. It was affordable, exactly. And now it covers. Everything. Just imagine an auto insurance policy covering your windshield wipers and your oil changes and your gas. You know, it would it would cost you tens of thousands of dollars a year. But the trick is, and people I think are waking up to this, even with insurance, the insurance companies are playing their own little games now of saying, well, this is experimental. or And th- procedures that have been done for 20 years, some of them are coming out and saying, well, this is experimental. Are they're saying, well, we covered this portion of the procedure, but we didn't cover the anesthesiologist, or we didn't cover this or that. So That's a great segue, David, because I wanted to spend the rest of the show talking about something that I've been working on, which is to, um, uh, articles about uh, the health insurance industry. And I think we have just a, a couple of minutes before the break. So let me just set this up for the last segment. We're uh, seeing the wheels coming off the health care Industry right now with the pullout of uh, United Healthcare and now of Humana from the uh, from the healthcare exchanges and why are they pulling out? Well, they say that they're losing their shirt. They are just taking a bath 
and they can't afford the losses anymore on uh, on uh, the being in the Obamacare exchanges. And when I read this and when I saw the, these reports, I just absolutely came out of my my seat. I just came unglued because this was, you know, this is this is so disingenuous and nobody is really calling them on this. And I think that it's high time that somebody shines the light on this um, issue. The um, insurance companies are making a fortune and Obamacare is just a small piece of their business. They have different books of business, insurance companies do. And what insurance companies have done over the years is a practice called purging or they or dumping unprofitable accounts. And they started doing this years ago. The most recent example before Obamacare was when they jettisoned the small business customers in 2015 because they were losing a lot of money on those on that book of business. So they got rid of it. They purged it. And that's what they're doing with Obamacare right now. And I'm going to try to clarify that in the last segment when you come back and join us in the Doctor's Lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Thanks for coming back into the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and uh, we've had a a great show today, uh, which was uh, kicked off with an interview uh, with Dr. Ben Carson for our first two segments. It was great having him on the show. And for those of you who have... uh, um, uh, who want to hear this again or who um, have friends who might want to hear this and who missed this origin- this live broadcast, uh, I want to just let everyone know that the show is replayed during the week. It will be replayed today at 10 a.m., but also uh, we, we rebroadcast the show throughout the week. So, so please uh, 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 text or email or or uh, uh, Facebook your friends and let them uh, download the show or listen to the show and uh, and download it when it becomes available on iTunes or on the website. We uh, really depend on the downloads and we'd love to see this show go viral. This would that would be fantastic. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, really just just 
gets gets my ire is this insurance company business because the uh, insurance companies are are one of the parasites of of uh, the healthcare industry and they've really um they're 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 predatory and uh they have they've uh they they more than just about anything else have uh caused the costs of healthcare to go through the roof so that when we hear um, United Healthcare cry that they lost seven hundred and twenty million dollars being in the Obamacare exchanges in twenty fifteen, and so they can't continue to sustain those losses. Don't don't uh, lose any sleep or shed a, a tear for them, because in twenty fifteen they had record profits. They made eleven billion dollars in twenty fifteen. On um, on 157 billion dollars in revenue, so their 720 million dollar loss on a small book of business that exists because they were part and parcel of allowing Obamacare to occur that allowed them to get the $11 billion in profits is a joke. It's laughable. And they should be called on it, and they should be – They, they uh, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, that we, we need to see uh, a complete um, revolution in how we handle liability. And we talk about this all the time in trying to uh, create direct primary care and get that – segment of healthcare out of insurance and have insurance companies write policies as David was saying in the last segment simply for catastrophic events for the cancer or for the um the the chronic uh disease that may occur or the serious operation that you need to have that's what insurance is not for I have a sniffle or I need a flu shot or I need to, you know, just get, you know, my my uh, my eyes tested. That should be something that people pay. And that can be done, as Dr. Carson said, with the assistance of having health savings accounts set up. And as I see it, you know, we have we we have direct care, direct care could be direct primary care, it could be direct specialty care, but direct care. Then there's intermediate care. Intermediate care would be the care that costs a little bit more money, but that you don't have right there in your checking account. Well, that would be what you would use your health savings account for. And then there would be catastrophic care. And that's what you pay your $2,000 or $3,000 premium annually to an insurance company rather than $20,000 for every every um, windshield wiper or every oil change to the insurance company. You know when in, when Obamacare um, came came uh, into uh, into creation, even before it started in 2010, when Obama became president in 2008, the insurance companies were on the ropes. Their stock was pretty much in the toilet. They were doing very very badly. Since 2008, let me just run down the numbers for some of the big insurers, where they are at. Humana's stock up 1,010%. Cigna, 
one, 1,113%. Anthem, 469%. That's Blue Cross Blue Shield. Aetna, 628%. United Healthcare, who lost $720 million on Obamacare. Their stock since 2008 up 814%. Wellcare, which is a Medicaid HMO, CMO, their stock is up 1,400%. Their Wellcare was called before the federal government twice for illegal billing and fraud. These are the these are the people who are making money in the system. The CEO of United Healthcare in 2014 made 66 million dollars. And and they're crying that they lost 720 million dollars in the Obamacare exchange. You know, this is this somebody has to call these people on it and it it gets worse. The insurance companies, they want to see a single payer. Don't let them, don't be fooled into believing that they're happy with the way things are now and that they they actually want to see things go back to where it was where there was more commercial insurance because they don't. Their biggest customer, interestingly, is the federal and state government. Over 50%, well over 50% of their business comes from government. You know, we heard in the creation of Obamacare that they were going to phase out the Medicare Advantage plans, the, the plans that individuals, that seniors really love, that they depend on. And there was an uproar that these plans were disappearing. Well, guess what? They aren't disappearing. They've actually doubled and why is that? Because the insurance companies are making so much money from the federal government on these Medicare Advantage plans that they are keeping the, um, the uh, Medicare Advantage from disappearing. You talk about cozy relationships. Marilyn Tavener. Marilyn Tavener is, it was the head of CMS, the um, Center for Medicare and Medi- Medicaid Services in the federal government in the Obamacare administration, and in the Obama administration. And she left um, uh, CMS, she left uh, Department of Health and uh, Human Services, and she now is the president and CEO of the American Health Insurance Plans, AHIP. So she represents all of these insurance companies, and in fact, she was responsible for lobbying the government and preventing the implementation of the Obamacare tax on the insurance companies that they were supposed to have imposed in 2016. So there, there's you know we we are hearing all of these. Um, these uh, incestuous and, uh, quite honestly, uh, deceitful and and uh, and disgusting relationships between government and insurance companies, 
and um, the losers in this, sadly, are going to be um, the uh, patients because they're going to be the ones who have no choice, who are going to have a single payer. The insurance companies are going to divvy up the country. They're going to just be the administrators for um, 320 million people's health plan. And uh, if, uh, if you think that the veterans are getting good care at the VA, wait until that is your care because that is what is coming in a uh, Hillary Clinton administration with a single payer. So, you know, I think that uh, Dr. Carson hit the nail on the head. We need to unleash the uh, entrepreneurial spirit of of uh, physicians, let them take charge again of health care, get rid of the parasites, which are the third-party payers, and, um, and, and, and patients need to stand up as well. They need to demand that this happens. And so, you know, this is something that you need to do with the ballot boxes and not be apathetic. Sadly, we're not talking about health care again in this presidential campaign. I don't know what it is about presidential campaigns that makes people shut their mouths about health care. But we hear about it in off-year elections in 2010 in 2014, and guess what? We got record numbers of people who believe in the free market healthcare system. But when it comes to presidential years, we just don't talk about healthcare anymore. Why is that? That just doesn't make any sense. So people have to demand of the candidates to speak about healthcare and say, "What do you have in mind? What what do you see as as uh, as the future for healthcare?" And don't let them tell you. That oh gosh, healthcare is is going great. Look at Obamacare. We have so many more covered people than we did before, and healthcare costs are going down. That's just these are just big fat lies. Well, um, just a couple of uh, housekeeping notes. Once again, I'd like to uh, uh, thank Dr. Carson for being on the show today. I want to remind everybody to go to our website www.docsforpatientcare.org. We are having uh, a uh, big uh, conference for physicians who want to hear about uh, direct care. It doesn't have to be just primary care doctors. It's direct care. And there will be opportunities for those who are not just primary care doctors but specialists to learn how this can affect them as well. So please, I encourage you to go to the website and uh, and learn about it and sign up for it because space is running out, time is running out, and we would love to have you, and you get CME credits as well. So uh, thank you for joining us in the Doctor's Lounge, and until next time, this is your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.